Welcome to Mud 79. I'm Fearless Fred Kennedy, the creator of this totally original and in no way authorized Star Wars fan fiction podcast. If you're listening to this, you probably love Star Wars. I do too, and have always dreamed about telling my own story in a galaxy far, far away. A story that's less about the Jedi Temple and more about those who were on the front lines. A boots-on-the-ground story about how those living in the galaxy survive the horrors of war. That's what Mud 79 is all about. If you're new to the show, welcome, but please be aware this is a series. So if you don't want to be totally lost, start from the beginning with episode one. You don't want to be a stormtrooper. This is episode 31, The Echoes. A crew of troopers, including Solomon Kwai, have accompanied Captain Largo and the Purge Troopers on a secret mission to breach the enemy tunnel network beneath Sestin 4's surface. It's been a brutal mission, with Sergeant Kyra shooting enemy wounded in cold blood. The entire experience has left Kwai rattled, and they've only just reached the Sesher Catacombs. Has Captain Largo really found their target? What really happened back at the Sesher Aid Station? Will Kyra explain himself? Or is this the true face of the Empire? Let's find out. And just like that, the two of them lowered their arms and walked backwards into the far wall. Hollow Shield will re-engage in 30 seconds. You heard the clan girl, let's go, let's go! He started waving us in, and if he was playing the role of exasperated asshole, he had the look down pat. Arkham popped the speeder into gear and pulled up close to Largo, who got back into the passenger seat and motioned him to move on. And off we went, deep into the echoes. The massive entryway extended back at least a kilometer. A decent-sized runway, cutaways into the walls, borderline hangars themselves, or at least that's what they must have been used for. There were remnants of a few fighters and Starcraft. Not much left but parts of the frames. Saw an Arc 170, and even the burnt-out remains of a vulture droid. Everything had been picked over. The plating gone. I'd seen the Durasteel from Starfighters reused as armor for foot soldiers and grafted to the sides of speeders. It was resistant to almost all small arms fire, so it was a good choice for protection. They were nothing if not resourceful. Anything of value, anything that could be repurposed, reused, was taken. Engines, cabling, distribution cores, even the seats, all gone. Just smatterings of skeletal remains lining the walls and alcoves. We threw on the night vision and cruised along. Wolf was ahead of us. But when we came to a junction, they stopped. There were three tunnels, two forking to our left and one heading right, 
sloping downward. But we didn't take any of them. Largo told us to adjust the goggles. And then, just barely poking into a spectrum of sight we could register, another tunnel. Its entrance was high on the wall of the right tunnel that led down into the depths. It was a smaller opening, three by three meters, hidden further by a ledge of stone. Just enough room for us to move through. Most speeders couldn't get that much lift, but ours were modified. The white coats thought of everything. Arkham shifted the grav lifts up a few notches and away we went. No noise save the hum of the engines. The air whistled past, but even through the respirator mask, I could smell the dank staleness, wet dust, very unique. And the deeper you went, the stronger it got. There was a hint of blood to it. Not an actual blood smell, but an odd similarity, like rust or clay-rich dirt when you break through with a shovel, only older. After a few minutes of cruising, the tunnel sloped downward and weaved left and right. Largo would occasionally lean back and fill us in on the details. These tunnels have been extensively used by the Sessions to smuggle troops and ammunition. That big one we came in through, we've been looking for it for months, but this one, the one we're in now, we didn't even know it existed. According to the readings I got from those arcs, we're headed right for the nest, which is in the process of being moved, and we will not let this opportunity pass us by. Understood? The Western Front closes today, troopers. I rechecked my rifle every few seconds. Kept me from going insane. Your mind will wander when you know you're heading into a disastrous situation. Sometimes you yawn. I always yawn. And then I think up even worse scenarios that could potentially happen. So I'll check the rifle again looking for something to be wrong, something to fix, something to distract you. Untie, retie your boots, reclip your webbing, readjust the buckle of your bandolier, go through your pockets, actively focus where your hands will go when you need to reload, peer down the sight, check its range, a myriad of small things to distract yourself from the situation. Then, a deep breath. Acceptance. And another yawn. We'd been in the Echoes heading steadily downward for a few clicks when Largo told Arkham to punch it. We had a solid straightaway and needed to make up time. Cat and Wolf cruised. A speed so fast it made me nervous. One sharp turn and we'd be smears on the walls. Wondered how often that happened. Maybe we'd stumble across the bodies of a few Sesher joyriders. Then, up ahead, 
like the first star in the sky. Light in the thickness of black shone like a pinprick of sunlight. I took my goggles off and could barely see anything, which was a good indicator of how dark it was and how cranked my goggles were. It came fast, and the captain had us slow down before getting there. Red was eager to slide up on the e-web, but Largo told her to rest easy. All of us needed to keep our rifles down. No hints. Give what was given. If this got hot, we needed to be ready. But our focus here was just to pass through. This was not the target. This was something else. We cruised into a huge stone chamber. And again, I was blown away by the scale of what we were seeing. Whoever dug these things knew exactly how far to push, how much the stone could take. It was amazing. The seshers and their gear took away from the awe. The rusted metal and shoddy welds. There were catwalks above, positioned in between what looked like entry shafts that led to the surface. Either they'd been sealed off, or the tunnels that extended upwards bent, because there was no daylight coming in. The place was lit by tracked lighting on the catwalks, and illumination drones buzzed overhead. But there were landing pads, scaled for mid-sized haulers. The interplanetary ones, like the ones that came down on Vibus. This could have been the starting point for that entire op. No way of knowing. Right now, the pads were empty, save one. The rest being disassembled. Loaders carrying crates and moving things on grav lifts all heading to that lone freighter which was being worked on by its crew. There was new plating being welded on, and it looked like a patchwork doll. Had to be components from a dozen ships hewn together, and that was just what I could see on the surface. I guess this was a supply depot of some sort? Maybe a storage facility? Capacity to run hot and heavy, but... Right now, it looked sparse. And I didn't know if it was because they were out of supplies or because they were engaged in an evacuation. I was hoping it was the former. But we didn't have time for a discussion, just traveled down a path that ran right through the center of the chamber. Drive slowly. We don't stop unless I say so. Lean easy on the accelerator. We nodded at a few seshers sitting in a gun turret. They nodded back, then looked over at a few callers lifting a crate onto a lift. This one woman, eyes sunk deep into her head, glared our way. She hated us. Dripped off her like the sweat running down her forehead. She stopped the whole crew, and they all turned. Pale skin, tallow looks could kill. She was tagged by a droid with a stun baton as we pulled on by. Collapsed to the ground, but the droid kept going as the Seshers in the tower watched. 
Did you see that? I nodded. That's why we're here. To put an end to this... barbarism. It's disgusting. I took one last look around before we passed into another tunnel on the far end. Hoping I could see something. A passing clue that might give some sort of familiarity to what I was looking at, but nothing. Just more crates. Wondered what was in them. Hoping it was nothing that'd wind up being used to kill us. Then, into the void of the echoes once again. The darkest dark. Where we threw on the goggles and bathed in the must. I expected some more insight from the captain. Details about what to expect. And that came, but not for close to an hour. A very long and silent hour. We made three turns. Slowed down a ways beforehand. Largo would get quiet. Motion his hands like he was performing some spell. Like a mystic you'd see at a fairground. Then he'd bark orders to Arkham. That was the most eventful thing during this part of the trip. I would look over at Kyra, see if I could get eye contact. I reflected on those wounded I saw him kill, wondering how he could do that, and so casually. He kept his eyes out the side of the speeder, though, staring at the wall. Maybe he was asleep. I caught movement out of the corner of my eye, Largo raising his hand in a closed fist, looking back at Wolf cruising behind. Seconds later, the other speeder caught up, tailing a few meters to our rear. And at that speed, if Arkham even tapped the air brake, we'd all be dead. We're less than five minutes out. We'll be coming into one of their few remaining shuttle bays. They have some small transports and fighter craft docked for repair, and if everything goes according to plan, we'll be using one to get out of here. Stealing a shuttle and shooting our way out of an enemy position. Perfect. This is exactly what I wanted to hear. They may be shorthanded, but the few guns they have left are more than capable of putting us down. So stay close. Keep your finger on the trigger, but we will not shoot first. He paused. You remember who we worked for? Why we're here? Timus Marrow. He's supplying the Seshers with engines and fuel cells. We were supposed to take part in the assault on Poachers Hill, but didn't land in time. And? We were hired by Fulcrum Cobalt, and we're here to tender our resignation. Exactly. You're all former MC broke rank. That's all you give if anyone asks. Other than that, keep your mouth shut. I saw the light up ahead, same as before, only getting bigger. Tried to adjust my eyes and taking off the goggles at the last second. When we came into the bay, it was a very different vibe than the last. There were rows of Duraweave bagging, stolen Imperial gear, creating a funnel into the bay proper. And it was protected by two heavy blaster cannons. Mark IIs. 
but the one on the left wasn't in great shape. The feed lines had been replaced, which meant its rate of fire would be slower. Still put out enough juice to cook us, though. We slowed down and the captain just hopped out, brash, like the type of swagger you'd see in a hollow story pirate. There were two gunners. Both of them looked like teenagers. The younger one couldn't have been older than 16. Miri Allen, pale blue, sunken eyes, no give. The young ones were always dangerous. Fanatics, broken spirits on pills and bith dust, willing to do whatever they were told, no matter how heinous. I was eyeing the place, peering over the bagging, taking it in as much as I could. And the place was far more organized and structured than what I'd been expecting. Dead ahead, crews were loading one of the dozen freighters on the pads, while a row of ARC-170 fighters was being detailed. The ceilings were high, and the clanging of tools and welding torches echoed above us. This was the type of setup you'd see at an Imperial Depot. The cargo, fuel, munitions, all stacked, organized neatly. The few landing pads that were empty were in pristine condition. Damaged, yes, lift scoring, but every bit of work that could be done was done. Discipline hung in the air. They would be very capable of defending this place if blasters started firing. I traced my eyes up, a catwalk grid and more upward-facing tunnels. I assumed those were our exit. What a shit show this was gonna be. Where are you coming from? The younger gunner, the Miri Allen, spoke, aiming her Mark II right at us, while the other sighted in on Wolf. We were supposed to be at that raid on Poacher's Hill, but were held up by your security protocols before we broke orbit. Now we're just here to drop off our cargo for Fork of Cobalt and then get the fuck out of here. So you fucked off? Let our crews get chewed up? We don't fight with droids. Period. Now let us through. I know Cobalt's in the comms bay. The Miri Allen flicked the primer on her mark, too. You heard the cannon spool. No. <laughs> Excuse me? Do you know who the fuck we work for? Team Asmero, from the Otami Belt. Your main source of Isotope 5, as far as I know, your only source of Isotope 5. And in the back of these speeders, we have eight full canisters, along with ten brand new Imperial adapter coils. Use up and let us through, or you can open fire. Destabilize one of the canisters and spark a blast that'll bring down the whole mountain. That what you're thinking, kid? Now simmer down and let us by and find my own way to Cobalt. There was a second when I didn't know how this would play out. Who knew how broken those gunners were? Getting that chippy could go the wrong way. But he played it smart, I guess, cause she leaned back and let the barrel drop. 
Then we passed by and made a sharp right as she nodded us through. Look for a Hatfield-class cruiser, roof-mounted quad cannon. Intelligence assured us it would be in here. A Hatfield was a decent ship, fast enough for the major trade lanes despite its small size, and usually packed a power core that could charge a heavy shield. They were perfect for running blockades. I see it. Over there. Past those pillars. I was looking in the wrong direction. Missed it entirely. When we stopped, Kyra nodded in its direction and I finally clued in. Wagered we were at least a click away. Took note of the pockets of Seshers working on one pad or another. Loading grav lifts, making ship repairs. Even saw a trio of Arc 170s get airborne and drift their way into the tunnels above. A shame we didn't arrive earlier. Could have brought those three down before they had a chance to cause any more damage. Don't worry, we're almost done. Largo slapped the perjurer on the arm. I was surprised Blue didn't take his head off, but I noticed even they seemed wary of the captain, which made him all the more intimidating. We stopped close to one of the cavern walls, far right from where we'd come in, near the corner, close to some stairs that were carved directly into the stone walls. Even had a banister on the far side, perfect height too thick, ornamental posts on every step. They led to a platform that ran along the side of the cavern, like a balcony minus the rails, just a stone ledge. There was an entrance to a smaller tunnel, something too tight for speeders, suited to foot traffic. Cabling was braced to the wall and led into the tunnel. Heavy grade, insulated and bundled, traced it up to the catwalks and bolted to the cavern walls and ceiling. From there, the cables split and made their way out across the shuttle bay, woven around the pillars down to the landing platforms. A lot of juice in those lines, and I made special note of the catwalks, where they went, and the access points, ladders strapped to the pillars. We moved up the stairs and into the smaller tunnel. Walked easy, or as easy as possible, given how terrified we were. I watched Mondi run her hand along the wall itself, feeling the smoothness of the stone. We saw masonry like this before. In the Echoes, Command had us explore during training, but it was always impressive. The trace lines of calcium and mineral deposits peppering the surface like teenage acne. But even then, it was still beautiful work. You wondered what it looked like when it was new. Such precision. It was a marvel. A hundred meters down the small tunnel was a blast door. The kind used in bulkhead junctions on a Star Destroyer. It was grafted into the walls, sealed with duracrete, airtight. There was an access panel on the wall, and the captain went over. He held his hands above it, 
closed his eyes and started punching buttons. He was slow, methodical, and on the last keystroke, the door slid open. We looked into a dressing room, gear hanging from the walls on hooks, armor, chest plates, greaves, and the like, stolen Imperial gear, ad hoc weapons, some I recognized. I mean, most of this was old Republic stuff. Everything was neatly organized though, the weapons in charging mounts, clips arrayed beside them, the blinking lights as they maintained capacity. Everything laid out for a rapid evac, the same way we prepped when gearing for an early flyout and you wanted to get as much sleep as possible. This is all I have. Everything past here is gonna be hazy, so be ready. Ghost magic. I learned later that the captain could only read weapons. He would get vague impressions from clothing and equipment, but weapons in particular were what he was best at. I spent a good deal of my free time reading up on Kefar and how psychometry works within their species, and it tends to be different for anyone who has it. Some theorize it's the emotional impression one imprints on an object. The intensity of that emotion is what leaves an impression. And I am very aware how much hope and reliance a soldier puts into their weapon. So I can imagine that blasters are screaming with memory, if you get to them soon enough. That code on the access panel he saw the hand of one of those ARC troopers who attacked the hill and did what they'd done so many times before. The slow, methodical punching of the digits was Largo clinging desperately to that last wisp of stolen memory. But it was enough. There was a smaller door on the far side of the dressing room no lock, just a regular sliding door Largo opened and moved through. His hand near the blaster pistol latched to his hip. There was another hall, the exact same dimensions as the one that led from the main shuttle bay, two meters wide and three high. It curved to the right, so you couldn't see down all that far. I was near the rear with Murray, keeping an eye behind in case anyone snuck up on us. We rounded the corner and Largo stood in front of another door and slid it open, moving in slow at pace. The purgers beside him. It was a barracks, common sleeping area, far darker than the hallway, dim lighting running in strips along the wall. And as we shuffled in, someone on the far end of the room shouted, Get in or get out. Some of us are trying to sleep, asshole. It was jarring, and it was actually Murray who responded. Sorry, sorry. 
Largo reeled on him, cold face, then peered across the room. He waved his arm over the bunks, palms down, fingers stretched out, then traced his thumb across his neck and raised his finger to his lips. The purgers moved out first, then he looked at the rest of us, shoving his thumb towards the rows of beds. There were a few dozen, around 60, blankets spread out, an obvious effort to keep things neat barrack boxes at the foot of each bunk, that stale smell of body odor and bad breath. All but four bunks were empty. We slipped between the rows, eking through shadow, drawing our vibroblades, made ready, then pounced. We killed them. Ghost magic, barely a sound. Screams muffled by pillows and blankets. I don't need to get into the grisly details. They died, and it was quiet. That's what we were ordered to do. There was another door on the far end. Light coming through the shoddy prefab sliders. You could hear water. A shower. Must have been a latrine. I was unlucky enough to be the closest. Well, me and Hefspar. She motioned with her head for me to enter... And I did. Blade in hand, wiped clean. She was two steps behind. Soon as I slid the latrine door open, another voice called out. Who's there? They were in the shower, calling casual. There were a row of showers along the wall. The sesher had turned around to look at us. Didn't seem to pay us much mind. A Twilik male, tall, well-built, green skin plenty of scars on his arms and legs. Name's Riven, with the Otami Company. Just dropping gear. My boss is talking with some contact down the hall, and I wanted to wash some of this shit off my hands. The sergeant had a friendlier tone than I'd ever heard her use with us. But the response passed, because he looked back at the wall and kept scrubbing himself down. Hefspar started rounding on him from behind. Hope you left it by the far pads. We're clearing out. We're going to blow the roof off once the loader droids unhook the power core. The word core had just escaped his lips when the sergeant slammed his face into the wall. It was a sickening crunch that left a smear on the stone. Then she threw him over her shoulder and put him in the nearest bed before putting her vibroblade to work. That was the one I remember the most. I was just holding the blanket, keeping him pinned as the life drained away. You could feel it, the spasms slowing gradually, just fading. Largo had us search the room more thoroughly, and we moved back into the hall and kept going. We passed a larger barracks, More than four times the size of the first, but there were no beds, just blankets and sleeping rolls laid out on the stone floor. It stunk in there, like rot, mildew, damp bedding. Lockers lined three of the walls, rows of toilets and sinks on the other. 
I wondered if these were slave quarters, but there were no locks on the doors, no restraints anywhere. Who knew? We didn't cross paths with anyone, but followed the tunnel as it began sloping upward and then came to a T-intersection. The tunnel to the right had no door and opened into a shooting range. A huge, well-lit chamber with a well-scored wall in the distance. We didn't get a chance to investigate because there were voices coming from the tunnel to the left. They were muffled by a broken blast door that wasn't fully shut on me. There was no this is it type moment here. He just tapped on the door controls and walked in. I was on the left side, Kyra was ahead of me, Mondi to my rear. We watched as the captain headed in, assuming that buccaneer swagger once again. Listen, I don't know if you're fucking cobalt or whoever, but I was sent by my boss to collect. I want creds, half a mil. He strolled right in. It was a room around the same size as the first barracks, 15 meters deep and 20 across. A collection of sealed cabling bundled together, running through a roughly carved hole in the side of the far wall next to another blast door. The walls were lined with a mix of tables, comms consoles, a hollow table in the center, two other smaller tables with portable projectors on them, another row of consoles and hollow tables directly ahead, the walls themselves covered in maps, charts, half the console projectors displaying images of various parts of Seston 4. And there was a speaker somewhere playing soft jizz. The consoles and hollow tables were all Republic stuff. What you'd find on the bridge of a Clone War era Star Destroyer, a Vanitor class. These guys had gutted a Republic warship and just repurposed the parts. It was shockingly simple. There were downed Venators turning up all the time. Some that had just gone missing during the war. And here we were, seeing one used against us. I was impressed. The gear was one thing. The bodies in there were another. This lot wasn't young. These were the people making decisions. There were two clones wearing fatigues, leaning against the main hollow table. They were flanked by a Twi'lek, two Miriallans, and a human woman. I didn't get a chance to count the rest of the bodies in the room because the clones at the table didn't say a word. As soon as Largo spoke, they shot a glance our way. Less than a second passed. This weird half-breath moment. The jizz music playing in a silent room. The clone furthest from us drew a blaster pistol, a sneer on his scarred, unshaven face. I don't know who shot first. But it was a heavy exchange right off the top. I dove forward, hit the ground, and felt blaster impacts near my rear foot. 
Cairo pulled me ahead to some cover against a row of processor stacks and consoles. I looked up behind him, a sesher on the other side of the room. I opened fire, just pointing and shooting. I hit them. It wasn't clean because they fell and started squirming away, but I kept shooting. Hit them multiple times in the abdomen. Kept on them till they stopped moving. Mondi was shuffling low at the far end of our cover and peered around the edge. Someone saw her because a bolt scorched the cap she had on when she pulled back. Fuck! Sent it flying, and she tucked in behind the console. We had good sight lines, but past the gap Mondi was shooting, there was another two console stations and a table. I was weighing the odds of how smart it'd be to jump behind them when another Sesher came around the far end. I was already pointing that way and fired out of habit. A clean shot right through the chest, through the chest. There was scoring and burning tissue on the wall behind them. I charged forward. You needed to take control of a room when you breach. Be aggressive and command the angle so the enemy falls back. It's counterintuitive. You want to lay back and stay safe, but that's actually the fastest way to get yourself killed. I stayed low, skipped past Monty, and tucked in on the far end. I was listening for voices, noises, anything that stood out over the din of blaster fire. I rolled over, and for a split second, just a hair, I hesitated. Everything was in slow motion. It was a clone. Three meters away, tops. They were coming right for me. Had a DC-15A, but modified, shorter. I can still close my eyes and see the strap dangling as they took that step. And their eyes. It was the LT, one of his brothers. And I shot him. That second of hesitation led in so much emotion. But I tagged him three times before he crashed into me. I didn't know if he was dead. He didn't have any armor on, and I knew I hit him. But when he impacted, the two of us fell back. I smacked my head into the ground, bouncing off the stone. And that's when things faded away. I didn't know how much time had passed before I saw Husto waking me up. I was in a total daze, felt nauseous trying to stay afloat in a wave of confusion. Why? Stay with me, asshole. Look at me. Shot me full of stims. I just remembered my shoulder hurting, then a wave of pain in my head. I mumbled about my head hurting, and he popped me with another needle. You good? A little bruised, but he's ready to move. I was out for six minutes. Mostly out. I'd been coming and going for the last bit. I thought you were dead. No. He's faking an injury again. The room was ours now, but Perger Blue was dead. He was killed when cutting off the exit on the far side. That cloner who started shooting, the one who we assumed was in charge, 
made a break for the door. And rather than let him escape, Blue tackled him. During their fight, he was killed. A vibroblade stabbed up under his chin. Right to the hilt. Hefspar killed the clone as he rolled away. That pissed Largo off, who was hoping to get some questions answered. At least this is what Mondi was telling me. Normally I got the dirt like that from Murray, but the captain already put him to work ripping data off any piece of comms equipment that still had juice. What if it's got a virus or tracking program? This stuff is normally compromised like you wouldn't believe. Just get it on this data core and when you're done, give it to me. Everything. And start with the comms traffic, that's priority one. Even if it's encrypted, just get it on here. And then move on to the tactical stations. Logistics, financial, anything. No matter how mundane, I want it all. Get to work. I was still getting my bearings, trying to stay focused on what was happening. Kyra had us moving bodies around, and the captain came over to inspect them. He was taking drops of blood, running them through a scanner, studying the figures and images popping up on his bracelet. He wasn't happy. Red was standing beside him, but seemed more focused on watching Murray. She's not here. The siphon confirmed her presence. He was muttering to the remaining purger. She may have run for it, but that's not likely. I'd wager she's near the core. The Deveronians said they were about to begin dismantling the main power generators. That's something she'd stick around for. The captain stood up and sighed. <sighs> okay, Murray, keep sifting through their data. Half spar, Arkeem, hold the room for him. Build the defense and secure that entrance. He pointed at the door we came in from. Hold until I get back. No one gets in, understand? The rest of you, you're with me. We made our way to the rear door. There was a hole carved into the wall next to the roof where a bundle of bound cables ran through. These were heavy-grade distribution coils. Follow them, and we'd find the main power supply. The captain's finger was about to hit the access terminal when he turned around and spoke to Hefspar again. And Sergeant Hefspar, disintegrate Blue's body. No one gets that DNA, understand? Hefspar nodded while the others kept stacking and searching bodies. Murray was already punching in commands to the main hollow table, linking to the data core that Largo had given him. The hallway on the other side of the door ran straight upwards towards another massive chamber akin to the supply depot and shuttle bag. It was darker though, taller, and the left half opened up into a deep chasm with a thunderous waterfall descending into blackness. You couldn't even make out the bottom. You could hear the water though, the sound reverberating off the stone. We stepped out of the tunnel and then onto a stone-carved balcony, proceeded to a catwalk, which was suspended from the ceiling and ran the length of the chamber. All the way to the other side, where it connected with another balcony that featured a heavy-grade shuttle bay blast door. A cargo speeder dragging a grab trailer was parked on the wide balcony ahead of it, just in front of the blast doors. 
And that's where the cabling led. So, that's where we headed. The blast door seemed out of place, but if there was a power generator behind it, you'd want to seal it up. Protect what was on this side of the chamber. See, this chamber didn't just have a chasm and a waterfall. There was also an industrial scale hydroponic setup. Suspended plants and mineral rich water pumped up from the reservoir deep below us. Rows of lighting and all of it growing bith root, which was the plant used to create bith dust. One of the most sought after narcotics in the galaxy. The secessionists were funding their cause with drug money. And there was enough here to pay off a galactic scale battle cruiser. Millions of creds. And with a crop like that, you'd want to keep any potential radiation or UV bleeds from the power core locked away. Keep the harvest safe. We trudged out onto the catwalk, looking down at the collared workers tending the plants, who were kids, young, thin, harvesting what they could while others packed the plants away into crates. Rebuilt battle droids behind them, patrolling with stun batons. They looked up and then looked back. We kept walking. Largo was pacing ahead, then turned and held up a small hollow. Projected face. This is Target A, a mercenary named Jado Rast. She was a prisoner from Camp Vibus who escaped. We take her alive. It was the sniper, the one Staven and I captured over a year earlier. The one I'd seen rescued when Vibus fell. The one from the torture hollows. If she happened to get chewed up by a few idle blaster rounds, I wouldn't lose much sleep. He pointed at Husto. No matter what we need to do to get her down, you keep her alive. Understand, Sergeant? I hear you, Captain. The balcony with the blast door extended to the far right wall, where it led to another tunnel, a big one. Wide, tall, no clue where it led, but we guessed that's where the cargo speeder was headed. They were gonna move an inactive power core through it. There was only one Sesher out front of the door. She had the hood popped up on the speeder and was taking a look at the engine. Largo called out, asking if everything was okay as he walked up to her casual as ever. She turned to him, stick hanging from the corner of her mouth, lazy-eyed like she didn't care who he was, and began uttering her first syllable when his arm came up in a blur. He dug his vibroblade into her neck and grabbed her hand as she reached for the blaster on her hip. I didn't see him pull the knife. It was as if it just appeared in his hand, like he was this magician at a fair. They stood there for a minute. Then he let her fall while reaching into his webbing. 
he pulled out a remote charge and stuck it beneath the rear end of the cargo speeder. Still not uttering a word. Then pulled out his pistol and nodded at Red. We go in hot. Everyone dies except target A. We lined up along the sides of the blast door. This was basic shipboarding stuff we learned back on the Crossfire, back when the Legion was being transported to the Seston system. See, when you're on a ship, they train you how to defend it. If it gets boarded by an enemy force, there are different techniques employed in combat maneuvers than what you use in the field. With a sliding blast door like this, you line up along the center, because the doors open from the center, and as each half recedes into the wall, you spring forward, creating a distanced target for the enemy. You're spread out, and it becomes more difficult for them to bring you down. In practice, I'm not sure how effective it is, but this is what they taught us, and everything else had kept me alive so far, so this is what we did. No give, either. The second the latches steamed and the doors began pulling back, we went in. What's waiting for the mutters behind that blast door? Will they find Jado Rast? And even if they do, how will they reach the Hatfield Shuttle? That's next time on Episode 32. Let's blow this thing and go home. Thank you for joining me this week on Fearless Fred Presents Mud 79, a Star Wars fan fiction podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you follow the show so you'll never miss an episode. While you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. It helps grow the show and will make my contemptible harpy of a producer very happy. We're available for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and wherever else you get your favorite streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information and a full listing of Mud 79's cast. If you want to reach out to me directly, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at fearless underscore Fred or email me at mud79 at curiouscast.ca. This show is hosted and written by me, Fred Kennedy, and Dila Velasquez, the Harpy, our producer. Sound design is by moi and final production is by Rob Johnson. We'll see you next week for more Mud 79.